0: Welcome to the Constellations. Talks across art, technology and science. Join us for encounters with experimental art projects and their makers. Welcome to the Constellations. This recording is taking place on Gadigal land in front of a live audience at 107 in Redfern, Sydney. I'm your host, Beck Dean, and in this podcast series, I talk with artists, scientists, and technologists about creative collaborative projects and the ideas which bring people from different disciplines together. Today, we're joined by sculptor, sound artist, and sailor, and sometimes all three at once, Dr Nigel Hellier. Good evening. And John Drummond, who is a composer, sound artist, software designer, and many other things. Welcome, John. Hello. Now a few months ago I was drawn to Nigel's many social media posts about this project and its development and I was mainly frustrated because it was happening in three botanical gardens in the Netherlands and in Germany and because most of the links that I was seeing for the project were written in Dutch or German so I couldn't visit these places and couldn't translate what was going on and it all looked totally fascinating. So it's so wonderful to have you all here so that we can talk about this extraordinary project. And it's called Oratorio for a Million Souls. Um, And Nigel, how did this project come about um, to work with the European bumblebee?
1: Well, it was quite a long haul. It was some part of um, the European capital of culture, um, Leeuwarden, which is the, um, the capital of Friesland. And the project that John and I collaborated on, the Oratorio Project, was part of a larger program called The Silence of the Bees um, and it was funded by what they call uh, a European Interregional Grant which meant we had to collaborate with another European country, hence the two um, other sites in Germany.
0: And for a title of a project that's actually... It's very It's a very sad title and it's kind of hard to... Like from the Australian context, it's hard to imagine you know, a similar-scale national project about the environment that was actually so grave in its kind of um, intent.
1: Well, I mean, the the situation in Europe is even worse than here. There's been a drastic reduction in both um, bird populations and and insect populations, I mean, a massive reduction. And it's directly related to farming practices, Mm -hmm. land clearance and the use of of agricultural chemicals. And... um, It's the kind of visual aspect of a country like the Netherlands really belies the problem because it's gorgeous, it's Mm -hmm. green, um, but what they call it in Holland is green desert. It's grass, 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 cows, 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 and um, the experience of living there through spring was quite interesting because uh, spring arrived in two weeks. Suddenly Mm -hmm. everything was in flower, the fields were full of wildflowers, And two weeks later, the farmers had gone out and cut the whole lot. So all the blossoms that were available for newly hatched insects had disappeared. And they do that two or three times a year because they make food for cows. Wow. So, I mean, it is kind of a disastrous recipe. Um, And the bee production there is virtually industrial. You you Mm. buy bee nests and they're designed for going into... Large-scale green, industrial-scale greenhouses. So the bees
0: are industrial workers. They are slaves. Agricultural. Yeah,
1: yeah, unpaid, unpaid collaborators. Okay. Yeah.
0: So this, it's this, project has so many different kinds of tendrils. Um, can we talk about what an oratorio is, um, in musical terms? John, maybe you can answer that question.
2: (laughs) Um, We are talking opera tradition, but we're talking something that's not as theatrical as opera.
0: So there's a choir, well, singers involved, as well as an orchestra.
2: Yeah, um, but more focused on on the singing and less on the theatre of opera.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so in this project, you've basically built... The oratorio is actually a built environment. Can you talk us through how that stru- what that structure actually appears like and how you've encouraged your choir and orchestra and conductor actually to enter this space?
2: The oratorio really was an inversion of that space. So the, the oratorio becomes the beehive listening space as opposed to a, a, a performance um, of, of human singing opera but, but, but a million bees doing their own singing and buzzing.
0: Yeah, so basically you're like surrounded by the living oratorio.
2: Yeah, and and, and and that experience of walking into that space is both the acoustics that that, that structure's created that you experience and, and the fact that the mics that we've got uh, aren't targeting the very big sounds of the bees. It's these little intimate um, interactions that they have as the bees come back and they kind of crawl all over each other and, and you're hearing all these really fascinating sounds that you wouldn't actually normally hear unless you had your head inside the hive.
0: So basically, if I was a, um, a human walking into this environment, there would be a sound, a live sound mix happening inside yeah. these large hive-like structures.
1: Yeah, Yeah, the idea was that you would become a citizen... Mm. In with the bee volk, you, know, <laughs> you become a bee. You, you're, in, you're immersed in it. Yeah.
0: And so, John, you, uh, am I right in assuming that you've sort of done the programming around um, this data that you're collecting? Can you tell us what the data that you're collecting is in the hive?
2: Yes, so the beehives where our bumblebees were living were um, actually set up as a citizen science sensor hive. And these were distributed around schools and gardens, and two in each of our oratorio. And essentially, they were collecting data, uh, entry and exits of the bees, mm-hmm. uh, and temperature. Mm. And uh, it was all done through a little Raspberry Pi that lived in the beehive, and um, sent wirelessly to to collect that data. And so the first thing we did. Um, we took advantage of the uh, fact that we had a doorbell, if you will, every time a a bee left and arrived. And uh, we also had a beautiful library of piano sounds that we'd recorded. And uh, we just decided to have our bees play a little arpeggio every time they (laughs) exited, and a descending arpeggio every time they came back in. And uh, as as you were in the space, you'd hear this kind of little piano tinkle, which indicated that the...
0: A bee was coming in or leaving Mm. Yeah.
2: So we have um, mics inside the hive and they're capturing lots of little tiny sounds of the bees scuttling around or if they're disturbed, they're not so tiny sounds. (laughs) 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 And so the system's doing a live mix of this. So as you walk in, you're hearing the bees enter and exit Mm. as they go out and pollinate flowers and collect pollen and you're also hearing them scuttle and say hello to each other as they return.
0: And did you were you able to sort of, um, by the time that you'd sort of gone through this whole process with the bees, were you able to kind of determine what was going on in the hive relating to the kinds of sounds that you were hearing or is it too um, alien in terms of the the language being um, buzzed or spoken
2: <laughs> um i don't know if we uh, fully understood what was going on but um <laughs> definitely uh listening to this thing both in in our apartment where we were living with the bumblebees and then living in the oratorios as we were programming yeah. and putting it together the, that soundscape revealed more and more of its mm. intimate sounds i think as we as we Tuned our ears, and then just the more there was there was scurrying sounds, and there were pulsing sounds. There was definitely an angry sound, or the seething the sound. The seething sound. Yeah, yeah it, was so it was
1: quite scary.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's a small child in this space. Jeez. <laughs> well, no,
2: that's that's mostly us um, mucking around lifting with microphones, l- lifting the, the lid. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we tried to avoid um, human, <laughs> bee interactions. <laughs> But of course, I mean, the hives were, um, they kind of hang off the walls on the inside. Um, they were fairly well insulated. They don't like um, to be disturbed by light when they're in the hive. They, they really go crazy if you lift the lid. Um, but of course, you know, kids running around, tapping on things, the bees would sort of seethe if that happened.
0: John, you you have you've made this kind of um, I guess this interpretation of the bees coming and going and recording their activity in the hive um, with microphones. Um, but there's also another layer to this project as well in terms of the um, compositions that you've made. Um, you've actually engaged with writing a composition for orchestra to. Um, play with the bees
2: yes so um, not only do we have the real-time data of bees entering and exiting their home um, but we collect that over the day and then Mm -hmm. over the week and over the month and so uh, we um, were asked really to create a data-driven piece of music for the local brass band um, in fact, for a local brass band at each of the three oratorios. <laughs> so part of that process was, in fact, with the scientists and the musicians and, and the various stakeholders, the, the mm. directors of the gardens, talking them through that, that process. So we begin with the frequency that the B buzz makes mm. Mm. and use that to define the pitches for the, for the brass band and gives us a key. Uh, then uh, working out, OK, so we've got pitch, um, how do we actually get some rhythmic, elements from that and so essentially treating the entry and exits were recorded as a one or a zero Um, and thinking about that to create a a pulse we have a Mm -hmm. series of pulses which becomes very intense at the middle of the day um, and sparse as they're waking up Mm -hmm. and going to sleep
0: so um can i talk about the i guess for each of you um in a different way this kind of importance of Doing this work that crosses over um, disciplines, Nigel, you've been a, you know, an interdisciplinary artist for a long time, Um, and this work obviously is is referencing a very real kind of um, crisis situation in ecology. Um, Do you think that do you find that the it's more urgent for us to be having discourse in this way with science?
1: Well, I think it is, but it, it, it's also from a personal level, it just feels like a, a responsibility and um, I mean, sure, you can m- make all kinds of cultural productions, but that, uh, for me they often feel increasingly irrelevant and I, in some ways you can have the best of both worlds you can you can still make interesting engaging projects but they have some social and political mm. dimension and... Um, whether they have a lot of effect, I don't know, but mm. one tries.
2: I guess uh, touching on that point from Nigel, um, it, it, it does um, make it really rewarding to be able to bring those dialogues about ecology, about um, diversification, to wider audiences. So once mm. you've actually done this,
0: <coughs>
2: once you've actually done this data-driven piece of music, it gets played in all sorts of different contexts, and then opens up dialogues about mm. the ecology. Yeah. And in a similar way, after spending for me, weeks, and for Nigel, months, making making these structures, um, when it first opens and when, when, you know, people actually engage with the space. And it, the soundscape created inside is actually quite meditative because mm. we're capturing the really tiny sounds of the bees. Mm. And there's these just very subtle piano notes as they come and go, so you mm. kind of hear that activity articulated. And um, people's responses is very, very... Qu- Quiet and mm. reflective, and mm. start to open up dialogues about well, what's happening here. And, and we also had a little small display uh, visualization of the data as well. So you can start to kind of have open up discussions about the fact that a beautiful green field is, in fact, a, a desert. For, mm. a desert mm. for
1: me.
0: Yeah.
1: I think one of the, um, the other really positive things about that project, but also um, the European Capital of Culture system in general is that the audience isn't really an art audience. It's it's yeah. a real general public audience. And um we had while the while we were physically building the structure, we had a constant stream of mm. people coming in. I mean, admittedly we're we're in a farming community, so most people are farmers. Um <clears throat> but they really understood um and were really curious about the building methods and the traditional yeah. materials, things like that. And they were very, very curious about what we were doing, why we were doing it. Whereas I think... um, I do recall a couple of... of, You would call them art lovers came and their conversation was totally about themselves. Mm. And they they didn't actually engage with the work at all. (laughs) So I thought, hey, well,
0: normal. (laughs) Yeah. And that's a kind of... I guess that's an interesting thing with these European capital of culture... Projects because they do they do something very different to I guess the way that we um, have art projects manifest in Australia um, uh, and encourage people to kind of value value their cultural kind of expression mm-hmm. and it's not not such a, um, a big thing there. Do you find that as an artist um, you have more success with your practice um, elsewhere or how how do you feel about working in Australia at the moment?
1: Well, I li- I'd like to work here as well, but I mean, in many ways, it's um, a little bit easier in Europe, and, and certainly there's a little the funding is a little yeah. easier to get to. Although this one was, was actually quite a, a three year struggle to mm. sort it out in the end, but once the funding was there, it was it was fine. Um, and yeah, I think this, this system of of capital of culture, one of the strong emphasis is on legacy. Mm. I mean, they run for an entire year, and so the program spread right out, not just in the kind of peak summer season. And there is a lot of emphasis on kind of trying to address the community in very many aspects, mm. and that it creates a legacy that builds the city up, yeah. or the area up.
0: Which is very different from putting on a show and kind of parachuting in um, artists into into places for festivals which is what we see a lot of Yeah, um, and it is it is a more costly way of doing things but then the outcomes are actually um, as you say they're about building um, and about legacies rather than um, spectacle in the moment
1: Yeah I think there's probably a bit of spectacle thrown in as well
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well thank you so much for talking with us tonight um, unfortunately we couldn't of course hear from the bumblebee because it's banned um, in Australia Um, but thank you um, John and Nigel thank you if you'd like more information about this project and the work of our fantastic speakers go to our website for the links deluxe.org.au and if you'd like to be part of the audience for our next episode of the Constellations check out the Deluxe Facebook page Constellations is a podcast program on experimental art produced by Deluxe Media Arts and Canvas Art and Ideas on FBI Radio. This project is supported by the New South Wales Government through Create New South Wales, the City of Sydney and 107.